and welcome back to Winging It, how to build, maintain and totally own a career that you love. For those that haven't listened before, I'm Lucy Hitchcock, owner of Sassy Digital, a no-nonsense digital marketing and branding agency. If you're listening to this on your phone, make sure you get the best experience by downloading the Entail app. Entail is an interactive podcast platform that combines the best of audio storytelling with the richness of the web. So this means you'll be able to follow links, view images, follow people on social and much more by just tapping your phone. The music for Winging It has been provided by The Edit Album, a curation of copyright free music for creatives. And our listeners get 25% off with the code SASSY25. I'll leave the link for you in the show notes. And if you're listening on the Entail app, I'll leave the link here now. Now, I couldn't do this series without dedicating a whole episode to money. Money is something that fills us with dread. I, for one, had no idea how much admin was involved in accountancy. Who knew you had to do so much paperwork in order to comply with the law? When I started my business, like many of us, I really struggled with the money side of things. I'm not a numerical person and I had no clue where to start. I was lucky in the fact that my mum was an accountant by career and helped me with my bookkeeping to begin with. However, I eventually found that the best thing for me to do was to control everything myself so I could get to know my finances. That and asking pretty much everyone I know who is good with numbers for help and advice. One of these people is my good friend Ben Necker from Cone Accounting, who I'm delighted to have on today's episode. We're talking about everything from taxes to cash flow, all the way to Ben's top apps running a business in this day and age. I hope you find as much value in this episode as I did recording it, and thanks once again to Ben. Hi, Ben. Hi, Lucy. So do you want to tell everyone a bit about yourself and what you do? Yeah, so um, my name is Ben Nacker, I'm from Cone Accounting and we're accountants for creatives, so um, trying to help people find their best lifestyle and business blend um, so that they can run a successful business and enjoy themselves while they do it. Amazing. And how did you start Cone Accounting? Because obviously I know you yeah. and I know Chloe, um, so I know a little bit about your story, but from going from working for an accountancy and then moving on to yourself, how did you find that and how did you kind of think um, to go out on your own? Yeah, um, it was it was something that I've always wanted to do. It was just a case of finding the right moment and time to do so. Um, and basically the opportunity came along to um, have that decision of do I start my own company. It was called BN Accounting back then. Um, very initials, very, Mine was Lucy very Hitchcock Limited. Yeah. <laughs> I think before you really find like your brand and your name, it's just, yeah, definitely. just got to get out there. So yeah, it was BN Accounting Limited. Um, and yeah, I think it was at like two clients um, within the first do. month, which was cool. Like, that was good. Um but yeah, didn't really start with much investment. I think my last pay packet after like training and stuff had been deducted. I had like five hundred pound, if that. So, and I had to pay rent. So I didn't have like oh, a lot to. Uh, but that is the beauty of being an entrepreneur these days is that you can just start a business with very little investment. You just need Wi Fi. Yeah, and you especially can get a services based business. I think mm. for me as well, that was that was really useful just because obviously you don't have to have the investment because it's literally just your time that you're yeah. that you're p- 
pimping out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it was, um, you know, get some business cards, and then start um, start putting your name out there, and then we start to get a good um, following. Um, but I really didn't like our brand to begin with, so um, it was blues. Like we had, I think, three shades of blue, and then like a white background. I don't think you ever saw the Vienna County no, stuff, I didn't but um, but yeah. So it was it was mainly like. Uh, free website created on Weebly, I think. It was like, I don't know if people still use Weebly. But yeah, and it was something that um, served the purpose. And then as we started finding the type of clients that we like to work with, um, and they all had that similar kind of um, aesthetic and um, kind of, uh, they're all relatable on that side of things, like all creatives as we like to call them, doing stuff differently. And um we decided to change our name and brand to suit that so that it would be a better fit. Where did Cone come and, from? Yeah, so Cone sort of came from the fact that our the ice cream is our packages. Do you like, like ice you cream? pick a flavour. I I'm partial to ice cream, but I'm not a massive fan of it. Like, <laughs> like yeah. Um it's it's nothing like I've got a deep love for ice cream or anything. It's um but yeah, the the, the um flavours are the packages, and then the idea was that the toppings could be the, the add-ons, the extra services that people need in their business. So it was meant to be like a, you build your own ice cream slash a county package, but we couldn't keep it all like, it's oh, add that. your sprinkles, because, you know, it still had to be a package plus a VAT return and stuff, but it was just like the... The, making the accountancy sounds so much more fun than it is. I know. I know. <laughs> and so we get that a lot. And um, and yeah, it was kind of um, cone accounting sounded better than pizza accounting, which is the only other one that I could think of that had a base with toppings. Um, I couldn't. I mean, if anyone's got any other suggestions of anything else that we could have done if it was in an alternate dimension, then uh, then yeah, that would be great. But um, but yeah, I mean, cone accounting, it kind of worked. One of my biggest things when I started my business was I I had no idea, basically, how to set anything up. So I actually bought my Lucy Hitchcock Limited off a... It was one of those websites where you can just buy a off-the-shelf company. Yeah, yeah. I don't know I don't know how you do it otherwise, but... Yeah, like company formations or oh, okay. those, kind of, those kind of companies. I didn't go yeah. through a lawyer. I just did yeah. it online. Yeah. But I got my papers through. I was great. I was like, oh my gosh, right. I've set up my company, now what? Because I had some clients, so I was like, well, yeah. where's the money going? So I set up a bank account, and good. then, yeah, it was a great start. Yeah. Um, Many people don't do that. <laughs> do you know what, though? It did take two weeks to get to get mm. a meeting in the diary with my bank manager. Anyway, so I set up my bank account, and then, um, luckily for me, my mum was an accountant she basically kind of helped me and was like this is like the basic things you need mm-hmm. to know but if I didn't have my mum I think I would have been so stressed and I speak to a lot of my friends who are either freelancers or thinking about starting their company yeah. and I'm like oh have you have you done this and they're like no did I need to do that so it's something really simple for example as I put 20% away of everything that comes into my account for tax purposes yeah. and then people you know get to the end of the year and they're like oh, I didn't really, like, count for that mm. to, like, save up money. So um, what do you think is the first thing people need to know about money when they set up a business, apart from setting up a bank account? Yeah, I mean, obviously, um, the companies themselves don't need to be, unless unless you're going in with other investors or other people, you don't really need the, the legal side of things. So using company formation 
um, services like we used um, or using your accountant if you've already appointed one by that point because we get some people that will join us. So your accountants then, can actually set yeah, that yeah, so, up for so you. We, we, we set companies up all the time. Um, uh, it's kind of um, part of the done thing. Like whether they're a sole trader moving to a company or they've just come to us and they have an idea and they want to get started and they don't even have a company yet, then we take that process for them. Um, and yeah, I mean, pretty much as soon as you've got all your documents through, the certificate of incorporation, your articles of association, all those kind of things, then um, you can go and open a bank account. Now, depending on who you bank with or who you want to bank with, depends on the time. So Lloyd's, Barclays, Santander, all those kind of ones, the high street ones, they are notorious for two to three weeks just to get an appointment. Then they post your card out, then they post your pen out. And then maybe by the end of the month, you'll be up and running. Um, but ones like Metro Bank, you can walk in and open a bank account the same day. Really? Um, yeah. It's same day, definitely, if you're a sole trader, you can walk in and get one straight away. If you're a company, normally it can be done in a day, unless you've got some complicated, like, kind of transactions or business type. Then um, you can, it can take a day, two days, but never more than seven days. Um and a personal favourite as well for um, for for sole directors or sole sort of self-employed um, business owners is Tide. So Tide Bank is a mobile one of these challenger banks, a bit like Starling, Monzo, which are personal challenger bank kind of things. Tide is a business one, so it runs off your mobile. You take a photo of your ID, take a photo of your face. That does the anti-money laundering checks. Um, it opens, gives you a sort code and account number there and then and really? posts a bank bank card out to you in two business days and you get the PIN instantly and you're up and running within two days. So by the time the company's incorporated and it takes a couple of days for it to fall onto Experian for the credit checks, the because the company has its own credit rating, um, you can then already have a bank account set up with Metro or Tide and you're good to go. Um, Starling has released their business banking version as well which is pretty good um but that would have been so useful to know for me because i think when i started mm-hmm. i had to wait um i had to wait maybe a month and a half before i could mm. actually pay myself through P- paye yeah because i didn't have any of that set up so i yeah. couldn't take any money out of my bank account so i was like living off my savings down to the exactly, last penny yeah. and i think like um you know once you've got the bank set up once you've got the company set up um you're right in terms of the savings, so I would open up a, a savings account as well with your with your bank account. Um, Tide and Starling do it a little bit differently. They have like a goals, which is kind of like a it like compartmentalizes your some parts of your money that you want to put into savings. So you still earn interest on it, and it's still untouchable, but it's not a separate bank account technically. Um, but ones like Metro and stuff, you can open up savings accounts for free. They don't cost you any money, and you know some clients will do it between their VAT, corporation tax, and PAYE. Um, some will just have one savings account, and that's where all of their kind of amounts go to. And it does depend, obviously, if you're just starting out. Um, and it's kind of another question, I guess, but if you're going to be VAT registered or not, you know, you, you and will have would, to look aside for that. Why as well. would someone get VAT registered? So it's normally seen in the B2C, so the business to consumer market more so, um, that you would start off as a as a VAT registered business. Um, 
potentially because you have that tricky if you if you know that you're going to get to eighty five thousand pounds, which is the current threshold for VAT. Um, if you know you're going to get there within the next twelve months, then HMRC's technical wording is that you should then look to register, or at least you will be soon. Um, and you normally get 30 days to then register when you get close to that, that limit. The problem is if you currently charge your customers £10 at the moment for a product, say, and those customers are just normal everyday people, so they can't claim the VAT back, there's no, no VAT at the moment, so they pay you £10. As soon as you go about registered, you've got to put your prices up 20%, and now you've got to charge them £12. Or you swallow it uh, yourself, and you still charge them ten pound, but you only take eight pound sixty six or eight thirty three or whatever it is, and some of that money now is going to HMRC instead. So it creates a massive kind of issue when you get to that point because you've then got to whack your prices up. Yeah. Um, whereas if you start that registered, normally you can you can reclaim some of your costs that you're starting up with. So normally you're spending out a lot, especially in this retail industry. If you're doing a shop fit, you're buying tills, iPads, stock, all that kind of stuff. You'll, and your sales probably aren't going to match that just yet. So you'll probably get some of that VAT back as a refund to begin with. And then after that, you can then start, you know, just declaring your sales, paying VAT over on that as it goes so quarter you'll by get, quarter. But your price so the is VAT the that you're spending, you can claim back against the VAT that you're... you're you've, you've earned in, technically, that yeah. you have to pay HMRC. So you just do a balance of so it kind of VAT on sales. Out. BT on expenses, and then the difference. If it's negative, then it's refunded to you. If it's positive, then you need to pay it over. Um, it's always nice getting a refund from yeah. HMRC, isn't it? So I think like the main thing is for people to understand that the VAT element is not your money. So if you do charge £10 plus fat, £2 of that, so £10 is your money, and the £2 isn't your money, it's HMRC. So that money should go straight into a savings account. Um, so obviously you'd probably do that weekly or monthly, you wouldn't do it on every transactions especially at high volume like lots of two pounds here um but you know at the end of each week or the end of each month or however your deposits come in you can then move that money over into a savings and the same works for corporation tax as well so whatever money you bring in this time it would be of that 10 pound not of the 12 pound or the two pound or loads of different figures now but the um the corporation tax you've earned that 10 pound that 10 pound is your money and technically 19 percent um, is £1.90 is your corporation tax liability as a worst case scenario. So both of those elements, the 20%, the whole putting the whole £2 away and the whole £1.90, that's worst case because it can't be more than that because you've only yeah. earned that much. But what I think is quite nice about putting that 20% away, not the VAT obviously, well yeah. actually VAT probably because you might keep yeah. some of that money, yeah. but... Um, especially the corporation tax, I think it's nice because if you put that twenty percent away, you're not going to be spending that money because obviously, yeah, you know, you're not going to be sending all of the money away because yeah. you'll have um, expenses, expenses and, that come off it. and whatever. So you might have a nice little bonus dividend at the end of the year. Yeah. So basically, it's um, it's it's good as an upper limit. What we normally recommend for businesses that because um, obviously cash flow is like one of the main issues for small businesses in general. What we normally recommend if um, they can't put the full 19% or still round up to 20% really, they can't put that away. We normally say 10 to 15% uh, and it does depend on how much expense they are. So if they're quite expenses heavy, um, then they'll be 10%. But if they have very few expenses and they're very profitable every month, then we'd look to 
recommend 15% putting it away instead in those instances where they don't have the cash flow to do so yeah. like, or put all of it away because normally we find between 10 and 15% is where you'll end up anyway um, once your costs have come off so um, but like I said most prudent is to put the full 20% away and then um, you're covered and you've got a little bit of a bonus at the end of the year that's what I like one of the other things I think small business owners or startups find is that when you are trying to do all your accounting stuff yourself to begin with which everyone probably has a stab at doing it unless they have a family friend who will help them out or something is navigating hmrc and i know from a personal point of view i have spent hours going around in circles on that website trying to find like you know, how do I find out how to do this? How do I find out how to do that? I think the first time I did it, I was trying to set up my payroll on mm-hmm. my mum used to use Sage. So she said, I'll do it for you. You set it up on yeah, Sage, so which is a software for um, doing your payroll. And so I went on to the, I set all the software up, put all my, um, put all my details in, mm-hmm. you know, everything about my company. And I went to click submit. I was feeling really happy with everything. I was like, yes, I'm about to pay myself. Uh, click submit. And then it was like, what is your web you filing reference? And, and, uh, reference. and I was like, well, what's that? What, like, why did no one tell me that that's what I needed? So how is there an easy way to kind of find out exactly what you need to do to begin with, to do those simple things you need to do? Because I think when you go onto the HMRC website, there's no page that says you know these are the these are the kind of checklist things that you need um to be able to do various things yeah i think um it it is a minefield um even from accountant's point of view as well um our own kind of access and logins are um really hidden away as well so um they don't make it easy but um the good news is that when you incorporate a company um, company's house automatically deal with your corporation tax registration so you never have you don't have to do that anymore that's done automatically um, and you've got three months to do your self-employed declarations so that's where you if you have never been self-employed before um, then you tell HMRC that you're now self-employed they'll give you a 10 digit UTR number um, which is um, a unique tax number for you um, so that's on top of all your tax returns that's how they track your what tax you've paid and all that kind of stuff. Um, and your company will get one of those as well if you And is that something you company. get straight away online or is that sent no, to you in the so post? Everything, pretty much everything is sent out by snail mail, um, by the HMRC. Have you, seen like, that, um, have you seen that thing I put on Instagram? I think I reposted it from oh, someone. Oh, I did see that. They put on Twitter, basically anything that you get from HMRC um you know, password failed, password failed. And then mm. it's like, you go to reset and it's like, you will receive your yeah. unique passwords within three to four weeks by yeah. boat. So passwords, UTR numbers, um, VAT numbers, all that kind of stuff is all posted out. Um, you can sometimes have some success with ringing up on the phone. Um, I'm not sure if that's because we have an agent helpline to call um, but I'm pretty sure if you can pass the security and you know some of the details, then you can sometimes talk to people. But things like UTRs and stuff, even if you get through to the phone, because um, it is such a private piece of information, it's um, it's always posted out. Like um, it's it's always just sent out. They even say that you know they're looking at it right now, but they can't tell it to you over I the phone. Know. Um, 
and it is just the way so it is if you're in a rush for stuff then got bad news for you really um it's but, not gonna happen yeah but i think um they're trying to like speed these things up i mean poa you can actually fill that in online um so so normally what the first thing you want to do is create an online login so it's never actually clear that the login is just your access to a dashboard, but it will be empty. There's no, there's nothing actually in the dashboard okay. when you sign up. Um, and then what you can do is you would have received your, um, you can then register for your self-employment. Or if you've had a company, you would have received your UTR a week or so after the incorporation. So at that point, when you've got those, you can then add them as a tax onto your dashboard so you can then say right i want to add self-assessment or i want to add corporation tax and that's oh, your first starting okay. point because for both i never both actually knew that yeah so <laughs> Until you can't it. register PYE or VAT without having a UTR number whether a company or a personal one so that's always the first step because if you're a company you need that company UTR number to become that registered or to have a PAYE scheme if you're self-employed, then you need your personal UTR number to be that registered or if you're running payroll. So it's always the first port of call. Um, and then from that point on, you can then register for VAT, PAYE, and it's just a case and of just using the, web the digits. Filing? What's the difference between your HMRC login and your web filing? So it's normally the same. It's just a different name for it. And that's only because... Sage as a software um, is quite uh, old school still, I guess. Um, Don't use Sage. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not one of uh, Cone's recommended products. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, Sage is um, it's, it's back in the day where the online login used to be a web file. Like, that used to be the like, kind of the, the name or what it was known as and stuff. But nowadays, um, it's your online username, uh, your username and your password. Um and um, and yeah, the username is I can't remember. I think it's sixteen or maybe twelve digits long. Um, just random digits when you create your online portal. Um, and the password is what you set up when you create the online um, access. Um, and everything you do, so whether you're doing your payroll on HMRC's basic tools, um, or using Sage or Zero or My PAYE or Rollpay or any of these other kind of um, payroll software and bureaus. Um, they will need that login to file it. Um, likewise, the VAT returns to submit them, you'll need the login to file it, all that kind of stuff. It's all that security to it. Um, but when you've got all those taxes registered and they're on your dashboard, then you can log in, you can see how much PAY you owe if you've missed a submission. Or oh my gosh, can if, you? Yeah, you can see what corporation tax that. you have to pay or when it's due. Um, I think they've taken away the option, or they've made it more difficult to file your incorporation tax. I mean, basically, HMRC and Companies House don't like people doing it themselves, the, the company's aspect. I wonder aspect. why. Well, it's mainly because people get it wrong. Like, yeah. accountants should be doing company side of things more so because it's so much more like technical than self-employed but i also think you know as well as well as for hmrc they don't want people to get it wrong because they want the tax of their own but i also think from a company point of view it's really important to have those um correct and in shape it is yeah i mean the the general rule is that as a self-employed business so you're a sole trader or a partnership you don't actually need to produce the set of financial year-end documents. 
You just have to have all the all the figures to put onto your tax return in the right place to declare it. Obviously, it's easier to prepare the set of accounts and then extract the figures from there, but those accounts don't actually get filed anywhere. Whereas with Companies House and Limited Companies, those accounts do go off the Companies House. They have them publicly on the register. Um, you can hide some stuff, so that's what's abbreviated accounts are, or now they're called filleted accounts. Um, basically, that hides your turnover, profit, all the kind of juicy stuff, but it still says yeah. what your shareholding is, like the uh, the shareholder funds, which basically if you've bled the company dry, like you've got profit, taking all that profit out as dividends, we'll have next to nothing in shareholder funds left, so your credit rating will plummet on that basis. Wow. Um, whereas if you either. leave a lot of money in the company because you're reinvesting it or it's in savings and kind of stuff like that, then you have more shareholder funds. So your credit rating for the company would rise. So that side of things, that's what's judged on how well a company's performing at like a credit level. And also like those credit reports are public. So people can then, like the software or the tools you can use, but people um, can then use that when they're thinking of dealing with a particular supplier or if they're looking to invest in a company or do business with them then they've got that that kind of information there, so you can see roughly how you're going. Um, but that those company those company accounts they're then really important, so that's why they're then going to company's house for the public information. But then the full set with turnover, tax, all that profit and stuff does go to HMRC because they want to make sure you've calculated the tax right. Yeah. So that goes off with the company tax return altogether. Um, and yeah, I think more more people have a stab at doing their own personal tax return than we don't get many people that say it's okay. I'll do my own company accounts. Like if you're if you're a company, then you should be at the size where you can afford an accountant that's gonna be able to do it for you. If you're starting too soon as a company and you can't, because it's more expensive to be a company basically from an accounting point of view. So your bills will be higher as a limited company than a sole trader. Um, and um, and yeah, if you've potentially done it too early and you've become a company sooner than you should have been, it is going to be harder to do those counts, but it's not going to be impossible, like end of the world, but you can't really follow a template because although they look the same, there's different things needed for different declarations depending on what you've got in your company accounts. Whereas like I said, the sole trader ones are profit, any assets, balance sheet, nice and straightforward. So um, the, that's my... I wondered what that was. Going off. Didn't um, that um, but yeah, so the like I said, there's no no problem with people doing it themselves. I think um, we get people that do their tax returns themselves, especially if it's very straightforward, like a salary, like a P60, and there's their dividends, like it's very easy to put on um, and sort out. Um, I guess obviously one of the one of the main benefits of using an accountant is because it's then checked. It's everyone's happy that it's correct. Um, or it should be correct, and um, cause that's not to say that all accounts get everything right. Um, you know, it's uh, you do get your rogue ones and stuff like that. So, you know, it's um, it's just having having that those checks in place, and they don't teach this in school, like really the the whole yeah. tax things. And it's weird that I think every single day stuff. I'm like, why do they not teach me this in school? It's madness. I know. So they don't teach this at school. So obviously your your accountant has gone and done some level of training, they've done some kind of course or stuff on that, so they know what they're doing, whereas 
everyone that's just picked up a tax return, it is going to be like fumbling around in the dark to begin with and reading the help centers and stuff like that. But HMRC are making it easier, and that's why they're bringing in the Making Tax Digital in April 2019. So it, you can voluntarily join it, or if you're VAT, at the VAT threshold, you'll have to join it. Um, but that will mean you won't have to do a personal tax return anymore. Um, it will remove the need for it. And instead, you will, a bit like a VAT return, you'll quarterly report from your software. So if you're using Xero or QuickBooks or something like that, you will now be able to file your four mini tax returns in a way, but it's just on your business self-employment, um, into the software, directly into HMRC. Um, a, they then get their tax quicker. It's going to mean that you're going to be paying personal tax quarterly. Um, Is that Do you mean personal as a director? Yeah, so directors would have to do it um, if they've got that kind of earnings, but it's, it's mainly going to affect the self-employed people or... Oh, and okay. companies, because um, companies themselves will have that side of things as well um, if they're affected by VAT. Obviously, you can voluntarily join in if you want beforehand. Um, it's not going to matter anyway. It doesn't mean you pay more tax or you pay less tax. It doesn't really affect that. It's just a case of how frequent you report, how you report, and what kind of records you need to keep. That so. was very in-depth. Yeah. I feel like I'm learning so much from you. <laughs> So every time I call my accountant, I'm just like, oh, I can't, I can't listen to this. I just find it too like overwhelming. But you're explaining it in a very easy to digest way. <laughs> from a from like a kind of startup point of view, say you yeah. you think right, I'm ready to make that investment. I'm ready to speak to an accountant. How would you go about? Fi- how would you recommend people find um, an accountant apart from Cone? <laughs> you yeah, can find online. Obviously. Yeah, ConeAccountant.com. <laughs> um, yeah, it's um. It's not that there's like a whole industry of uh, cowboy accountants out there ready to nick your money. Obviously, like with any industry, that's going to come up every now and again. I guess the main the main thing here is just making sure that your your um, what you want from your accountant is aligned with what they're potentially offering. Um, so if you want someone that's um, and and for the most part, our main referral source is from word of mouth. Um, and it, I think this would be the case for all accountants. It's one of those things where someone you're asking someone to trust you with their business figures, with their advice, like like that, all, all that kind of stuff. So when someone is making a decision to appoint an accountant, it is very much trust based because they sometimes know more than your suppliers, your friends, like. Yeah, they know how it's much so you're personal. Earning. Yeah, yeah, they'll know your date of birth, national insurance. They know pretty much everything about you financially so the we do find that it's word of mouth more so because I've always said like no one's just gonna see a Facebook ad and go you know what I'm gonna use them uh it happens occasionally but it is so much people are like putting on Facebook or putting on Twitter or something like that does anyone know a good account I can use or something like that and people chip in with, oh, yeah, I use these people, these people. And, yeah. and that's how those word of mouth referrals start, um, or like dropping in emails and kind of or stuff. Or just like asking that. your friends and family. I know I found yeah. I found my accountant just through um through family friends. Yeah. So Yeah. So I think um it's it's not so hard to find your first accountant because I think the first one does come from friends and family sort of referrals, or maybe you Googled one and it's 
right around the corner from you or locally yeah. you get that sometimes as well people have just googled like accountants in Southampton or something and they've then found us and wanted to have a chat with us there so that's that's kind of like the two ways people first will start so someone's told them or they've just gone, gone out and found us it is one of those things where there's some some companies will stay with that accountant for the next 20 years or however long they stay in business other accounts will reach a point where that accountant might take them to a certain level and then they need to move on to get extra. I mean, there's a lot of accountants that in our own industry, we have, we call it the advisory services. So compliance is your accounts and your tax. And the advisory is budgets, growth, forecasting, all this kind of cloud software, the, the extra services. Now, compliance isn't dead. A lot of accountants are scared that HMRC is going to automate it and take away our jobs of like the accounts and tax returns will just be magically worked out themselves by robots. Um, but taxes will never have that happen just because there's too much. There's no one to point the finger at if it's wrong. They, they'll always need someone to perform the figures to check them um, on that side of things. But compliance is a lot simpler. It doesn't take as long as it used to do, like five years ago, for instance. Like it's come a long way. So and people don't care about your yearly accounts anymore. They're old like out of date by the time you've got them and got them signed even if you've done them three months after your year end it's still out of date because they're for last year's stuff yeah. people want monthly or quarterly management reports now so that's where the advisory comes in so more accountants are doing that but there's still a lot of accounts that just do the once a year talk year end accounts one personal tax return job done bill you for your time at the end of the year you've been paying standard order or something like that or you haven't, and you get a large bill at the end of the year, and you've got to pay it all at once. Um, and that's, that's fine me. for them. <laughs> I mean, that's that's fine. Um, but you'll reach a point where either that account will change because they'll realise that their clients are wanting what everyone else is getting that 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 more regular contacts and better service. But also the the advisory. So being able to put together a budget or a forecast because they want to take on a staff member or they want to open up another office, how's that going to affect them? All this kind of stuff, we've got the data, so why not use it? And so that's what we kind of do and a lot of other accounts are doing as well. Like It's that um, using the cloud software and the tools to read and analyse the data more than just punching the figures for the tax to be submitted. Yeah. And do you think that's more of a, like a modern accountancy thing just because you because obviously... You use loads of um, online software and cloud services mm. and, you know, the way that you do things at Cone is quite clever. Whereas I think if I went and asked my accountant, he'd be rustling around in a, his filing cabinet. Yeah. I mean, I've worked, at, um, I've worked at a firm that had filing cabinets out the back. Every client had a, like a ring binder, like a little lever arch folder in a, in a, like a little hammock kind of thing and open them up find the client's name in alphabetical order and pick that up and it's got all their previous accounts, paperwork, all that kind of stuff. And Cone doesn't have a filing cabinet or a folder in sight. Everything's on Google Drive, everything's digital. So the, and there are still accounts firms that have the filing cabinets out back. It's just, um, we've had the luxury of creating a company and starting fresh with, no clients, so we've been able to put the processes in to begin with. Um, I've 
got a few people that I used to train with, or used to work with, and they now own their own practices, and they've either saved up money and bought a practice, or they were already in practice before the cloud wave came along. And so they've got loads of people stuck on spreadsheets, or even worse, on cash books, and like shoeboxes of receipts that don't see why they need to move to a cloud solution. So it's difficult for them to price that that client. It takes more time. I'm laughing at the shoebox because I actually have my own shoebox. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, we don't we don't accept any any shoeboxes, any paperwork. Um, it's kind of why we give everyone the tools. So we give you a zero. Um, we're starting to roll out uh, QuickBooks as well support, um, and um, give everyone a receipt bank account because. Receipt bank takes care of all your receipts, um, so you don't need the shoebox. Just take a photo of them and upload them to the cloud, and that will find its way into your Zero or your QuickBooks account. Um, it just creates that, just gets rid of all that friction of handing paperwork over, submissions, and all that kind of stuff. It's just uploaded right to the cloud. Everyone can see it, and then whether we're doing the bookkeeping or the clients doing the bookkeeping, it's all there to then start being processed. Um, and yeah, I think it is a case of um, I mean, we work with so many different apps, add-ons, um, different services and softwares. Some are obviously internal for us, but then the majority of them, you know, we'll have a few clients using some POS software like Vend, so that's your point of sale, so your till systems, or some clients that use uh, Float or something like that, where it does your cash flow forecasting, um, iZettle as well for the point of sale to point, um, uh, card reader systems and stuff which are cropping up everywhere um, so there's like an app for whatever you want and that's why Zero and QuickBooks work pretty well because it nine times out of ten it will link up with one of those platforms and will start working like just feeding that data in so you don't have to spend time writing it in yourself um, um, yeah I've mentioned before um, previously on, on blogs and stuff that there's no reason in this day and age that if you sell a product on Shopify that it shouldn't just go straight into your zero account automatically. It should just happen like that. So yeah. as soon as the sale's made, it goes straight into your system and that's it. Whereas we still get um, some people coming to us where they've then been exporting it from Shopify and then importing it or turning it into an Excel or maybe just exporting it, stapling it. Print and staple, and then hand it to their accountant with their oh, receipts wow. and stuff. So, you know, it's it's kind of just trying to bring everything to the forefront. And one of the main things is that we can then see how you're doing during the year. So it does eliminate that once a year. Oh, here's the books. I can see now how you've done last year. That's great. Anything I tell you now is out of date. Kind of like kind of rhymed a bit, but uh, <laughs> but. Um, but yeah, whereas if we if we have access to your zero um, and your receipt bank, we can see how you're doing. Then we can pull off a profit and loss as you go. We can see if you've got extra profit to pay yourself a bonus. If you're going to buy some new assets or some new computers or a website or something like that, then how you can put that through your books to get the most tax efficiency out of it. Um, I mean, one of the key pieces of advice is that you should be able to view your accountant as a business advisor, not just an accountant that does the tax. They do the tax as well. But if you are going for finance, you should talk to your accountant first. If you're going for a mortgage, you should talk to your accountant first. If you're going to get a website developed and it's going to cost you three, four, five grand, because e-commerce or bells and whistles, WordPress yeah. or something, you should talk to your accountant first because there's 
so many tax breaks that you can benefit from these different areas and stuff like that. And nine times out of ten, your accountant might know someone as well, like IFAs, mortgage brokers, insurance brokers, Definitely. all that kind of stuff, because we get these questions all the time. So if you want to also stuck with, oh, I, I need to get some business insurance, and I want to get another quote from somewhere, then ask your accountant, because, I mean, some, some accountants can probably do the quotes themselves, um, like they have insurance, um, depending on how big you, the firm of accountants you're working with, but um, most of the time they'll know a broker or someone that's going to be able to help. And that goes for legal stuff as well, like solicitors and all that kind of stuff. It's We kind of, behind the scenes, create a network of people because we do get yeah. asked from time to time. So we then have to have a solicitor available or an insurance broker available and all that kind of they stuff. They all kind of tie together, really, don't they? Yeah, and, and it is one of those things where, um, especially with the raising finance side of things, like whether it's investment or loans, like... A lot of them nowadays plug right into your zero, plug right into your, your QuickBooks. So it brings all your money, your, your earnings through, and that's worth more than your bank statements because that's factual kind of invoices coming in. I mean, iZeppel can give you a cash advance up to £25,000 just purely based on your takings through iZeppel, and then oh. they deduct the payment, the repayment from your daily repayments basically so oh, when they okay. disperse the money to your account they take off their their little repayment and so you don't even have to make a physical monthly repayment for the money they just deduct it off of the the disbursements basically oh and it shows you all that in zero yeah whatever it shows you in zero shows you an eyes apple um and it's just like just having access to that kind of growth and flexibility as well amazing um just to touch on QuickBooks and Zero, which we've been talking about. We haven't really yep. talked about bookkeeping that much, which yep. from, I think anyone who starts a business will find that they have to do their own bookkeeping to begin with. Yes. Um, and actually, if you if you don't have that many transactions coming through um, and you find that you can handle it yourself, I think it's a really good way to kind of get to grips with what you're actually earning, what your outgoings are, um, mm-hmm. and all of that. And Zero, QuickBooks, um, I don't really know any other ones because I've only used QuickBooks and yeah. I've moved to Zero, but they kind of all they show you like these nice little tables of your profit and loss yeah. and and you know how you're going month to month. So what um what is the biggest mistake you think people make when bookkeeping? And do you have any tips to make sure that people kind of tidy up after yeah. themselves yeah i mean properly again we we recommend as well that unless they're really adamant about it um that they that the clients that come on board do the bookkeeping themselves so unless they really want like they've done it before and they really want us to take care of it then we will but for the most part um you know and there's a fee with that as well but so what we normally find is that it's much better to um, when a client joins us, we'll train them in how to use a software with Zero or QuickBooks, and then we will sort of look after them and ha- hold their hand during the early process of it. So the first three months while they get into grips with it, raising the first invoice, all that kind of stuff. Because you're right, the being able to see how your business is performing and not just ignoring it. Like and just thinking everything's okay. Like, That's know, like the worst people th- thing people do in accounting is it just like yeah, I'll just like look at it in a fine. few months and yeah, or I'll look at it at the end of the year. And it's kind of um, it's one of those things where bookkeeping becomes a monster the larger you, the longer you leave it. 
what could be 10 transactions could be 500 transactions in like nine months time if your business gets busier and more more stuff so if you don't do your bank so it's like something. putting your time on direct debit so you put aside like yeah. 10 min 10 minutes a week to just go through those yeah. transactions so we normally rather recommend, than a yeah. week at the end of the year yeah exactly that so what we normally say is when we've like trained the client on how to use the software um and, you know, on, on face value, Zero is much more user-friendly, I feel. It's much more built for clients than accountants. I think QuickBooks is built for accountants first with some slightly friendly features for, for um, uh, clients to use. Um, when the client is comfortable with it, we normally then recommend they spend half an hour a week max. So it shouldn't take longer than that for most, most small businesses. Like on a Monday or a Friday or whatever day they want to have as their admin day, um, they spend half an hour and they just make sure all their invoices are correct, mark anything off as paid, make sure all their receipts from receipt bank, and that they then push them through, and then they reconcile them to the bank. Um, and it, when it's a half hour task, it's not a huge task. I mean, it's kind of like that mentality of breaking down tasks into smaller chunks. Yeah. Because you can do it monthly, but monthly then instead of four lots of first transactions you've got 120 and it's instantly like, for me monthly turns into to two months and, and then it yeah, turns into three months yeah so it is one of those things where um you just need to find the time to do it um and not necessarily find time actually you just got to make time so you just got to put it in your diary 20 30 minutes on a monday morning or something and then you can just just go through um and it does it does give you good um good experience good idea of what's going in and out um it then is a is a judgment call i think when you're earning like a hundred thousand pounds in in turnover and you've got 500 transactions a month and it's not going to take half an hour realistically even yeah. weekly it's going to take an hour a week a couple of hours a week which maybe you don't have and, to spare yeah and when you're bigger and that's why normally normally we see the sweet spot for people wanting us to do bookkeeping is just before they become that registered. So around the sixty to £70,000 mark. You still get clients that do it themselves or they maybe skip and hire an internal bookkeeper like straight away. Like it depends on the growth. But um, what we normally find is around the sixty to k mark. Um, so that's roughly, I mean, it obviously does vary depending on transactions in the industry. But um, like recruitment consultants can get much larger fees for less transactions than a retail store that has like transactions every day kind of stuff. So it does, does fluctuate, but normally when you're hitting that 100 to 200 transactions a week, um, which is around the four 500 transactions a, a month um, mark, it's just too much time like taking up. So, um, so normally then it is a case of, right, do you have the cash flow to outsource it? Whether it's to someone like like Cone or um, an independent bookkeeper, your accounts firm that you're already with, they might already have a bookkeeping arm. Um, or like I said, if you are growing at such a rate, then you can take on a part-time bookkeeper as part of your staff. Like it does depend on that side of things in terms of what your long-term goals are. But it is something that you want to then weigh up. Like if you're spending six hours a month, you know, doing your own bookkeeping on a weekly basis how much would you charge for that to one of your own clients and how much money could you make from that six months and then weigh up the cost of monthly bookkeeping because you'll always normally find that you can make more money with that six hours than yeah, just definitely. paying a hundred pound a month for someone to do your bookkeeping so 
appreciate, and that's why we recommend as well, appreciate it at the beginning. People don't have three, four hundred pound a month to pay for bookkeeping accounts, all that kind of stuff, software, along with all the other subscriptions, domain names, Google, all that kind of stuff to begin with. And that's without even going down trademarks and copyrights and all that kind of stuff. You're normally you're on a fine budget, like a very fine budget when you're starting out, and then you want to then hopefully pump that money back into the company as the company grows and reinvest it in things that make you more time give you convenience and just make your life a little bit better. And so um, and so that's what we kind of try and focus on here as well, like helping that transition from you can do your bookkeeping yourself, we'll train you how to do it, and then when you're ready and you want to outsource it, here's the price and you just let us know when you want to move it over. And that's kind of, we get like a good response from that because again, people get unlimited support with us so they can ask all the questions, they get stuck, We'll train them again, we'll show them how to do it so they're experts in it. And so it's not a case that they're handing over the bookkeeping to us because they don't know what they're doing, it's a case that they just don't want to spend the time doing it anymore. And so it's worked really well and they value it more as well because they know then what we're doing. <laughs> if someone comes to us with us doing the bookkeeping straight away, they're kind of then like, oh, well, you're just clicking they a few buttons. They don't appreciate it, yeah. They don't appreciate what you're doing. And you're they're probably, like, oh, you why am I paying well. for that? Like, yeah, you probably get this as well with your kind of thing. Um, when you're creating a website, they're like, well, it must be easy. What's yeah. Be, I could do that in a day. What's, what's taking so long? Like, what do, you, what do you mean you want to put my bill up? So, uh, is, yeah, I think this happens in every industry and, and accounting's the same. And I think people do forget that accountants are small businesses as well. So, we have cash flow. We want to make sure that we've got positive profit. We charge for the, for the time that we're working. We don't charge hourly, but we make sure that everything we do is profitable and it's the same with any kind of business and how that should be run on that side of things. So it's um, bookkeeping is, is definitely something that you've got to keep on top of. And biggest tip is to try and, if you can, make that investment into zero or QuickBooks or free agent or cash flow. I mean, if you bank with NatWest, free agent accounts are free now. NatWest bought them out recently. Um, free agent is a little bit of a smaller one. It, you would eventually, if you want to grow and have a team and, and build you know, past 100, 150 grand turnover, then you will need to vacate free agent and move to a zero or something in the future. But it's a great starting point. And if you bank from NatWest, it's free. Um, but zero in QuickBooks, I mean, QuickBooks is very competitive pricing. Zero is kind of like the Apple. Like, this is our price, 20, 22 pound a month. Like, it'll leave it. Um, but it is, like I said, probably a our preferred one, zero. And... Um, and if you can afford that investment in it, even if you can't afford an accountant right now, just having it all there in one place will just set you up so well for the future. Um, but worst case scenario, spreadsheet, Google Sheets. I started off on the spreadsheet. It's free. It's nice and easy. Column with your date, with your amount, and with your description for sales and expenses. And just keep track of it like that until you can make the move and justify the cost of moving to zero or QuickBooks or something like that. I think also for the monthly cost, because you get, it's so visual and you get different mm. graphs and charts, I actually think for £20 a month, it's kind of a no-brainer. Yeah. I, I started on I started on the spreadsheet and then I moved to QuickBooks yeah. and I hate QuickBooks with a passion <laughs> just because I can't use it and I don't have the time to like... It's, it's just not as user-friendly as zero. Yeah. I mean, it looks nicer, but mm. actually you can do more with zero. Like I found mm. I, I have to create... Um, 
reoccurring invoices. Yeah. I, I would not know how to do that on QuickBooks. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's just some other tools in there that I think um, are really useful. It's changed my life. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, is really useful, and um, and like I said, having that that visual element as a, of it as well. I mean, if you're a whiz on spreadsheets, then you could probably knock up some pivot tables and graphs pretty easily. But again, that's more time you're putting in, more things you're having to learn when all the data is in a zero or QuickBooks system. You can just press a button, and your profit and loss is there. It's yeah. Just invaluable. So one of the things I wanted to talk about was um, stress, because I know a lot of people get stressed from money, especially me. I'm not a numbers person at all. I'm a words person. I'm a visual person. Um, So for anyone that's feeling stressed about money, what would you kind of say to reassure them that it's going to be okay? Yeah. I mean, I think um, the biggest kind of worry I think people come across is the cash flow side of things so when money's getting a bit tight wages are due at the end of the month or your rent bill's coming up and your clients haven't paid you on time and so you're like well I've got to get this money from somewhere or what am I going to do that doesn't actually create a lot of stress um one of the one of the main things is to not be an ostrich and stick your head in the sand and just pretend it doesn't exist like by having access to your financials and being able to keep an eye on them, it does keep some of that stress at bay. It's not like you're just turning it on after six months and you go, oh my God, like how much do I owe? Like at least you're like, yeah. even if you're weekly, especially if you didn't bookkeeping yourself, you know these things are coming, you're prepared for them. Um, but it is more about tightening up processes. It does depend on what is stressing you out about it. Um, like I said, if you have a problem with late payments, then you can set up invoice reminders or or just put into a process of, if you're not using software like Xero, you can then just do that manually. So every Friday, anyone that hasn't paid you, you just send them a little gentle nudge. I do also think um, with with having a service-based business or what, any, any kind of business where you send out invoices and you have to wait a certain yeah. amount of days for people to pay you, I, I think that you think inside, oh my gosh, if I chase them, they're going to be like, oh, what? Like, yeah. no, just wait, I'll pay you when I'm ready. It's not like that at yeah. all. Like, Everyone's busy. recently, I'm the case of a client, hadn't actually got the invoices, and I was yeah. like, oh, you haven't actually paid two of my invoices now? Yeah. And yeah. they were like, oh, I actually didn't get them. And I was kind of having World War Three in my mind. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. oh my, my gosh, God. like, what's happening? Thing. Yeah. I mean, I think um, that's, that's absolutely right in terms of, People are busy. Some people might not have got them. They might go into the spam folder. Like, there's a. I mean, if you're on a service-based business, they should probably know that you are going to be. Yeah, do have to pay you monthly. Um, but it is by having those invoices going to the right people. Uh, even better if you can collect it from them. So I mean, for instance, we use GoCardless. Um, all of our clients sign up to it, so we don't actually chase anyone for money. Everyone signs up on a direct debit and. That's how they pay. So even ad hoc invoices we put through GoCardless as well. So the benefit of that is that we're always in control of the billing in terms of it's always coming in. But it also means that the client doesn't have to add us to their online banking and send payments and set up standing orders and stuff. It just, again, takes that admin away. Um, and, you know, a lot, of, a lot of accounts do struggle with getting their bills paid, especially the ones that send the big invoices at the end of the year. 
um, for all the stuff that they've just done, and it's kind of an, a big shock and, and chasing it in and stuff, and yeah, and then fees get written off and stuff. Whereas we've all been there. Yeah, whereas having like a, a monthly um, direct debit or subscription, it just means that, and if your service can do that, so if you are like a web designer um, or you're doing um, like a package or a course, and you can spread it out. Um, then, um, or it's or it's a monthly subscription anyway, and it doesn't even need to be spread out. It's just a monthly fee. Then, um, then that side of things just works really well by having something like Stripe recurring billing or um, or go cardless. Um, I mean, Stripe recurring it does take seven days, but they've recently said that your first million dollars is free, um, no fees attached to it at all. Um, so it's different than Stripe. It is Stripe, but it's like Stripe's recurring feature now. So it's built around okay. recurring payments only. So normal Stripe will still cost you money, but Stripe recurring at this time, I believe, is free for the first $1 million that you process through. Um, but GoCardless as a direct debit service is just fantastic. Because um, I just started doing that. I've got, mm, got one person signed up yeah. to it, but even having that one person, I think the money will come into my account on the first yeah. day of the month. And because obviously I've just paid people, mm-hmm. um, I've just paid people, so... I know in my head now that, you know, I'm getting some money on the first, yeah. which is, yeah. I think, quite reassuring because you're like, oh, gosh, that big chunk of money is going out, but actually I'm getting I'm yeah. getting something and it will be on this day, and you know that for a fact. Yeah, and we and I set it up like this to begin with because before we even recommended this to clients, it, because I had a monthly wage before, like one of Payslip, like many people who are employed do, and then my first month where I was doing this, obviously I had those two clients back then, and I wanted to make sure that I had rent to pay, I had a car to pay, and all bits and pieces like that. Um, so I had to make sure that I was getting paid before those came out. So that's why I then created the um, you know set up go cardless um, with Cone to try and or back then be in accounting, but to try and make sure that invoices got on the first. So we'll then get paid on the third, like two days normally it takes. Um, and um, and it means then that all my direct debits and stuff and business costs come out on the fifth to 10th kind of kind of um, area. Um, and, um, and so that's just grown and grown. So we now have two direct debit dates now. We have the first and the 15th. So some clients like to pay us on the 15th. So it means that during the during the month we'll have a huge, big, big um, deposit on the, on the third or fourth of um, the month. And we'll have another one on the 15th. And it just means that we've got that injection there to cover um, salaries, to cover, you know, we pay our the zero bills and all the kind of software and tools we use and all that kind of stuff. So by making sure we've got we've got all the payments there, it means that we've never got that interruption. And I think the, the ones that can really struggle with this is retail um, and like that kind of product-based businesses. I think service-based you can always have shorten your terms. No one should be doing thirty day terms or anything like that. I mean, it's only if you're you only see the big terms if you're working with like Vodafone and they do one of our clients. What yeah, so one of our clients works with Vodafone, ninety day payment terms. Like, but it's a twenty five grand invoice. So if you're dealing with that kind of comp- those kind of companies and figures, you should have that money. Put aside as well like or some kind of contingent aside because you know that's going to be a 90-day period yeah thing. definitely and those big ones they are bullies in the way they are like well that's what happens and that's it work with us or don't 
and you're that's not going to turn, like turn away. Small businesses. Yeah, and that's why, like, when you're when you're in that kind of industry, you don't want to walk away from a twenty five gram um, deal. Yeah, definitely. Whereas, if you're a consultant or a web designer or social media or all that kind of stuff, and you are bidding monthly or for services and stuff, then having a seven day terms, I mean, I mean, again, we have zero. Like, as soon as you get the invoice, it's due. Like, there's no reason really in this day and age why there should be payment terms because you would know that you've got that coming up so exactly you know, yeah. even when you get the invoice you know you're going to have to pay that it's so. better, yeah exactly because it's not um, I mean that's kind of because we've set ourselves up as a as a software company in a way in how we behave so just like if you bought a subscription with Trello or Calendly you type the card details in and you pay it then there's no payment terms anymore and that's kind of what we've we've done as well. And I think, like, obviously, depending on the industry, you can and can't do that. Um, so... I also think it depends if you've it depends if you've done it from the beginning. So yeah. I remember when I spoke to you, I can't remember when I met you, maybe, like, a year ago now? Yeah. And yeah. I said to you, you what, like... problem and how do you move yeah, the Yeah, and you thing, said yeah. to me, what you do? I was like, oh, my gosh, that's amazing. And I tried yeah. to, I kind of dip my toe in the water to kind of test whether the, my current clients would yeah. would be receptive to that. But actually they were like, no, 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 yeah. I don't want to do that. So if you if they want to work with you and you set those terms up to begin with, then they're nice normally happy yeah. to do it because they're like, I want to work with you. It's, it's very much um, you'd roll it out to your new clients. If, you, if you're doing this and, you haven't, and you've already started and you've already got clients that... Um, and you've got long payment terms, like 30 days, even 14 days, um, people are still paying you late as well. It's not so much a problem if you've got 30-day terms and people are paying you. I mean, what's the problem is that then people forget because 30 days is just too long. Like, people yeah. forget. Um, like, I don't know, it's probably just me or there's probably a few of us, but if I get an invoice that gives me 30 days, I will then put it onto my online banking then and there, but I will use the full 30 days. So oh, I'll, I'll do the prepayment on the on the metro because we bank with metro, and I would use the I choose the payment date as a day before the third, so it allows for the day to clear yeah. in case there's any delays. Um, whereas if they gave me seven, I would have paid me seven. Like I wouldn't I wouldn't have gone. Oh, I'm still going to pay them in thirty days. I would have paid them in seven days. Yeah. I would have paid them in two days. Like it's it's one of those things where if you give people that option they will always take the, the best option for them, not for you, I think. And that's kind of a cynical way, but I think you will get those people that will pay you straight away. Invoice comes in, great, wonderful. You will get the other people that will be like, yeah, that's fine. Like, I'll, I'll go on my intro and I'll pay that later and stuff. So I think if you're, if you're struggling with that kind of thing now, like put in a process for your new clients to be automatically collected or shorter payment terms or... And give them as many options as well. PayPal, don't be afraid Stripe, to talk about it as well. And, yeah, I think there's some big like taboo. I think it's a British thing. Really, yeah, definitely. Like, oh, my I, biggest journey is I've been yeah. like, I talk about it so openly with people. Yeah. And they kind of, I think people in return are then like, oh, that's fine. Whereas I'll find that some clients are like, oh, like, don't want to talk about it. How much is this going to cost me? Yeah. And I'm like, look, totally open books. You know, yeah. this is how it is. And especially if it's... Um, you know, if you've got that kind of client that you don't want to lose or, or you're scared of losing them and you think this would top tip them over the edge or something, that fear does come from there. But I think 
many people like they're doing the exact same thing to their own customers as well. Very good like point. they've they've got they've got those decisions to make about what customers they approach, what customers do they not want to lose and stuff. And no one, you know, no one's in a in their own unique situation here. They're all in the same boat. It's just how along the chain you are in terms of who's being affected. Yeah. And um, and so on that side of things, I think um, it is just a case of being open about it, having those systems in place, and where possible, you take control of it or you give them as many options as possible. Um, so don't just put your bank details on the bottom of your invoice. Give them, you know, if you're using Zero or an invoicing software, link it to Stripe so they can click a button and pay by Stripe. But they can put on their credit card then if they are having. You know, because they might not want to say, oh, I can't afford it right now, but they might have a credit card they could put it on, for instance. Yeah. Um, and get like the PayPal points for it. Well. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Like, get those air miles. And, and, um, and like I said, if you if you do have, like, a membership or subscription kind of based business, or you can break it up into payments. So we have a client that they have, um, like, a, a service package kind of thing. That's, like, a five-grand package, right? So not many small businesses can go, yeah, I'm going to pay five grand. Yeah. Um, just, just like that, but they spread it then they spread it out for them over the twelve months or whatever works for them. Interest free, like that's like that again. Using GoCard, this means you can almost do a small business finance in a way for these businesses rather than you know what you used to have to do and go to Barclays and beg for like a finance agreement and all that kind of stuff. Like, um, so yeah, I, mean, I think um, cash flow is one of the biggest issues and not being paid on time is part of that because Which you've got all your bills stress. yeah and it and yeah and that kind of that's what we originally started on wasn't it the the, the whole stress of it and i think that's that's the main i think that's my um, biggest stress it. yeah i think i think you get an i think your stress levels with being paid go up a level when you have stuff so you, so you have um you have jess um when you have rent and things like that um whether personally or in the business like when you have those bills coming in and you've got you know you've got the money on the table, but it's not quite in your bank yet. It's it's yeah. there, but it's not there, and it's frustrating. Um, and so that's where that that kind of stress can come from. Um, but I think um, there's ways around it. Yeah, I think it's just a case about educating your clients, shit like just sharing that position with them. I'm just saying, well, look, this is this is what it is, like like what you do, Lucy, and um, and yeah, just being open about it. I think I think people skirt around it too much and put themselves in more harm than good on that side of things and um and yeah you can't run a business on a profitable PL. you need to have the cash in the bank to actually yeah. use it so it's all very well having those invoices there but they don't put food on the table so and if you don't have the money in your account then why did you start in the first place <laughs> okay. exactly yeah um so that leads nicely onto my last question which i ask everyone if there is one piece of advice you wish someone had given you before you started your business what would it be yeah i think it would be um just to get the handle on delegating a bit sooner um i think um a lot of like the mistakes or kind of difficulties i've come across in my own kind of business journey I've kind of been glad I wasn't told about them just because you're able to then learn from them and and sort of experience them more than being being told about them but I think one of the one of the main ones is like learning at what point um we were talking about this before about (laughs) delegating it to other people so obviously 
back in November, we hired our first two accountants. So it meant that for the first time, um, I've managed people before at previous firms, but um, but I'd never actually done it as my as as an own employer kind of thing. So it was um, it was a learning curve to actually take the tasks that I do and I do well and give them to some trainees essentially starting their AET and their ACCA starting their journey in accountancy and um, and yeah it was a big big learning curve in terms of having that kind of humility I guess to say okay they're not going to do it as well straight off the bat as me but in time they will yeah if I show them how if I sit with them and, and invest that time in them then they will be awesome and it will make my life easier in the long run and so it was a very much like a battle like I probably should have hired people back in September but we ended up doing it in November just out of like we were just getting too busy and so it was a case of right let's get them on board and that's why we ended up hiring two people instead of one because we I was probably going to be in the position to then have to hire another person anyway in like February. So I was like, might as well just do it now. Yeah. Get them both on board, train them both at the same time. And, um, and yeah, delegating was one of the biggest kind of, and it's one of those things I think that, you know, it's like, what, you know, what piece of advice would someone give you? Um, it's hard to say, or, you know, you should, you should delegate. Because <laughs> you'd know, be you like, oh, and, shut up. <laughs> yeah, where do you begin and stuff like that. But um, I sort of set the rule that they would do anything that I could do, but I would just review it before I left the, went out the door or the yeah. metaphorical door. So any so to begin with, it was emails, you know, just making sure emails were worded properly, structured properly, um, making sure that um, things were attached, that things were done correctly on, on bookkeeping and stuff like that. Um, and once they kind of get into a hang of what they're doing right or what they're doing wrong, then um, then they can learn from that and um, and sort of build on that even more. And that's part of the journey and development. And I think if you're, you won't have to worry about delegating if you're happy staying as a, as a one man or one woman band and, and that's what you want to do and you just want to get to a level where you're, earning enough money to put to have a nice lifestyle spend more time with family that kind of stuff um but if you do want to grow and have a team and have a like a empire or a legacy or whatever it is that you want to grow your business to then you're gonna to have to learn how to delegate and invest the, that time have that investment of not only their salary but their time as well like you've got to put time aside to train them um and um and yeah i mean looking back it's one of the best things i did Cone, but it was one of the hardest things at the same time like um without a doubt um yeah like easily someone someone gave me a piece of advice a couple of weeks ago they said to me um quite a successful entrepreneur and she said to me if you want to scale your business and you want to grow your business you are going to have to invest that time in teaching um Absolutely. jess or whoever whoever works for me um or indeed anyone who has who employs anyone, you really yeah, have to yeah. make that investment and sit with them and show them how to do things. Yeah. Because I think you hear stories of, of, well, I certainly hear stories from my friends of, you know, um, people, their bosses saying to them, 
well, you, ha- you haven't done this right, and they're going, but they haven't actually shown me yeah. how to do it. So yeah. it's so true, making that investment is so important. Thank you so much, Ben. No worries. Thanks to you for having me. Every time I talk to Ben, I have so many points that I need to action afterwards. Ben is the king of productivity, so listening to him talk is so inspiring. Does anyone else now have a massive checklist as a result of listening to this episode? If you have any questions for Ben, then please do follow Cone Accounting on Instagram at Cone Accounting. And if you have any questions for me, I'm at Lucy Hitchcock underscore or at Sassy Digital. As another episode comes to an end, it's time to share another thought of the week. This week's thought is don't compare, congratulate. We spend so much time on social media that it's so easy to compare ourselves because we can watch others online. This means that the dreaded green-eyed monster can creep out, even if that's totally not who we are. She's doing better than me, has more followers than me, is prettier than me, are all thoughts that could come up. But rather than putting your energy into comparing yourself with others, remember that everyone is on a different path and is at a different stage in their journey. Congratulating others for their success and then putting effort into your own success is definitely the best path to take. Who knows, you could even learn something from others too. It would make my day if you could leave a review and don't forget to hit subscribe. I know what's coming up and trust me, you won't regret it. Testing. Sounding like right now. You have a really good like radio voice. Do I? <laughs> I feel like I have a horrible voice. I have a um a voice that flits in and out of Australian, even though I'm not like I go up at the end of my sentences. Um, like, you do a bit, don't like, you? I don't know why, but um, it's more so when I'm like at talks. So when I was at accountants the other day, room full of accountants, that was fun. Um, <laughs> I was on this panel and I'm literally like going up at the end of my sentences and I'm just like, no, I've never even been to Australia. Like, <laughs> I don't know why, it's just like a natural inflection, I guess. Boom.